Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. I invite you to take your Bibles with me and open to the book of Exodus, chapter 33. Exodus 33 this morning, beginning in verse 12. Would you stand with me out of reverence and respect for God and His Word as we read it together? Exodus 33, beginning in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O Father, what we have not, give us. What we know not, teach us. And what we are not, make us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. There was a point in Jesus' life where he was on a mountain with three of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. It was there on that mount where Jesus was transfigured before his disciples. And as Peter, James, and John saw the Christ in this dazzling apparel before their eyes, as he had been transfigured, they also saw Jesus Speak with two men, Moses and Elijah, 
And there a cloud overshadowed them, and they heard a voice out of the cloud speaking and saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. And then Jesus came down the mountain. And what did Jesus come to? Came down to a disturbance. Jesus' disciples and the scribes were arguing about a demon-possessed boy. The boy was brought to Jesus, and when he was brought to Jesus, the demon immediately convulsed the boy uncontrollably so that the boy fell upon the ground, rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus inquired of the father, how long has this been happening to him? To which the father says, from birth. From birth, since his childhood, the demon has thrown my boy into the fire and into the water in an attempt to destroy them. And then the father says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. To which Jesus replies, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Could such a cry be heard in the church? Is that kind of prayer that this father prayed in that moment as he cried out to Jesus, is this prayer allowed in the church? Or would we consider it inappropriate? If someone prayed that prayer, would you run to that person or would you distance yourself from that person? If someone were to say that, would we consider them just parroting a Bible verse? Or would they be embraced, welcomed, and run toward with love rather than ostracized. And then while the boy was still convulsing terribly, Jesus cast the demon out of the boy. And it appears that it was so intense that it killed the boy until Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And my question to you is have you ever prayed to God as that father did for his son? Have you ever cried out to the Lord? Have you ever pled with the Lord? Have you ever prayed a prayer of intercession where it took every fiber of your being and strength to make a request of God? Prayer is not easy. And intercessory prayer is especially not easy. Intercessory prayer, this prayer before the very throne of God, this prayer for other people on their behalf, this prayer for God to act. Moses comes before God and makes such an intercessory prayer while he is under immense pressure where difficulty abounds where uncertainty is everywhere, and where heartbreak weighs him down. 
all of those things that we think would keep us from prayer, all those things we think would hinder our prayers, all those things we would want or think would make us listless so that we would say, I don't even know if I can pray at all. All of those intersect. Pressure, the brink of despair, desperation, heartbreak, all of those meet. And when they meet, they are meant to drive us to our knees in intercessory prayer. No, intercessory prayer is not easy, but when you are at your wit's end, when you are at the end of your rope, when you are broken and downcast and hurting, when you are despairing, when hope is but a smoldering wick in your life, almost ready to be extinguished, it's then that we should let in the oxygen of intercessory prayer to fan into flame our life again, life that is lived unto God. We claim to be evangelical people who are evangelical people. They are gospel people. People who possess gospel integrity, people's lives who are bound to the gospel, lives that are dependent upon the gospel whose lives are driven even by the gospel to say gospel words and to give gospel love. If we are evangelical people, if we are gospel people, we will also be praying people. Prayer will be and must be a priority in our lives. We cannot get around prayer. We cannot overlook prayer. We cannot ignore prayer. We cannot have prayer as a nice add-on for our Christian life. Prayer is not for the super-Christian. Prayer is for every Christian. For gospel people, prayer is a priority in our lives. Is it a priority in yours? And yet people scoff at prayer. People deride prayer. People... Hold it in derision. Would you believe that? People would scoff at prayer. That people would deride prayer. Though they might never say it, they harbored the attitude that prayer is not enough, that prayer is not powerful, that prayer is something menial, that prayer is more like wishful thinking. They Treat prayer with the same amount of seriousness as crossing your fingers or possessing a rabbit's foot or some other good luck charm. They want less prayer and they want more action. They do not possess a heart that knows the purpose of prayer and so they scoff at prayer. I've seen people in my office scoff at the idea that I would want to pray for them. This is not pie in the sky. Yeah, maybe someone out there scoffs at prayer. No, people in our town and in our community scoff at prayer. Why do we pray? Why do we pray intercessory prayers? We pray because God's sovereign will is put into effect through prayer. 
Prayer is not an avenue for us to control God. Prayer is not some manipulative tool to get what we want. Prayer is the means by which God has so designed to bring about and accomplish His sovereign will. His sovereign will. His predestined plan that existed before the foundation of the world. It pleases the almighty God of the universe to accomplish His will through the prayers of His saints. People who believe in the sovereignty of God will pray and pray and pray. Show me a people who scoff at prayer and there are those who deny the very sovereignty of God. Prayer is no small thing. It is greater and more necessary than we often think. If the priority of intercessory prayer is in our lives, then we need to even prioritize what we pray about. So, not only should we pray, prayer should be in our lives, but then when we pray, there should be a priority in what we pray about. What is the priority of intercessory prayer? Intercessory prayer is God-centered prayer. Our prayers go wrong if they are not squarely and supremely centered on the Lord. How prayers will be derailed if they are self-centered. And as we look at Moses' prayer of intercession, we will see that it is God-centered. And more specifically, we will see that his requests are God-centered. I think this is where we go wrong. I think... We go wrong because even in our requests, even the things that we ask for in our supplications, they're not God-centered enough. They're me-centered. They're self-centered. We will say the perfunctory words of adoration just to get to our requests of what we really want. When you make a request to God, do your requests revolve around him. Our text this morning revolves around two requests. Two requests, I believe, that we still need in our prayers, our intercessory prayers today. And we will go through one of them this morning. The first point, request that the Lord would graciously reveal his ways. Request that the Lord would graciously reveal his ways. To set the stage of what we are reading, it is happening, I believe, in this place that is called the tent of meeting that's just been talked about in the previous verses. And so just as Moses is speaking to God face to face, that is directly, not literally face to face, for as we read, no one can see the face of God and live. But as Moses and Yahweh are speaking directly to one another, as a man speaks to his friend, so we are brought into this conversation that God is having with Moses. Think about that. God having a conversation with Moses. And Moses begins with a predicament that he needs alleviating. 
his mind is not at ease without this question answered. God, you have told me that I will bring these people up to the promised land. God, you've given me this command that I want to obey, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. God, I can't do this on my own. I need someone to go with me. Who will go with me? Now, we've been reading through the Exodus 33. And we might respond and say, Moses, why would you say such a thing? God has just told you in verse 2 of Exodus 33, I will send an angel before you. Why now, Moses, are you asking who will go with me? This is where we need to be careful readers of the Bible. Did you hear the difference? God said he would send an angel who would go before them. But Moses wanted to know who would go with them. There is a difference between before and with. Going before, the angel would prepare the way. But the request for someone to be with is a request for guidance, a request for protection, a request for someone to take care of them. There is an imminence and a closeness and an intimacy and a nearness. What is Moses saying? Moses is saying, I want Emmanuel. I want God with us. Only then will there be the assurance that I need to go forward in this obedience and this request. And that's what Moses is asking for. And asking for someone to go with them, Moses is asking for assurance. But who is this assurance abound, or who is this assurance bound to? It's bound to God. God, you have said that you know me by name and that I have found favor in your sight. God, you know me in this intimate fashion. If your grace is upon me, then the assurance that I need must be come from you. Only God can alleviate the sense of uncertainty. Only God can alleviate the doubt. If we are going to look for a sense of assurance from what we do, from our achievements, from who we think we are, our assurance will always be on shaky ground. It's only a relationship with the Lord that can provide the assurance that we need to go on. Where does your assurance in this life come from? When you are in need of assurance, where do you look? Do you look to yourself? Do you look to a laundry list of things that you've done? Or do you look to the Lord? who he is, what he has done. Assurance will never come when we look at ourselves. It will only come from looking at God. God knows Moses and the assurance and that he needs. Stability of life, guidance, protection, and being taken care of will depend upon God and God alone. But then we come to the heart of the first plea of Moses, God, if I have found favor in your sight, please, please, it's this pleading, please, 
show me your ways. Which begs the question, what are God's ways? It is God's will. It is how God works. It is his plan. Moses is asking God to reveal the essential reality of God and his sovereign will. And let's press home the point of Moses' God-centered request. This is God's way. It is how God's work. And God has the right to do things his way as the sovereign Lord. We are often ready to speak of our own ways, my way, my way or the highway. We might fear or think that we've lost our way. We might think someone else has lost their way. We might think we need to know the way. But for Moses, there is only one way that holds priority over every other way, and that is God's way. But we, I would dare say, are afraid to ask for the Lord to reveal His way because we know we might not like His ways. Think about what you're asking. Think about what Moses is asking. God, reveal, show me your ways. And we know that if we say those words, like Moses said those words, that God might give us His ways, but His ways might not be our ways. He might do what we don't want to happen. He might give us something other than our desires. Those aren't godly desires, though, are they? Those are selfish desires. His ways do not align with our fleshly desires or our worldly thinking. Such a request means that we cannot control God. We cannot be sovereign. His ways are not up to us. His ways might not be easy. They might not be comfortable. And they might not and will not make sense to this world. In fact, they might even be attacked by this world. But His ways always lead to life. Are you looking for a way forward in this life? Yahweh's way is the only way forward. And we hear this good news in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. For my thoughts, this is God speaking, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is to be a sense of praise and adoration that God's ways are not our ways. Thank God, because our ways will fail. God is in effect saying, give up on your ways, kill your ways, and pray for God to show you His ways because His ways are infinitely better than your ways or any other ways because His ways directly lead us to Him. And what is the result of Moses' request? that I may know you. Show me your ways that I may know you, God. Knowing God's ways means you know God. 
getting God's ways is getting God. If you want God's ways, you want God. You cannot know God or have God or think that He is in any way with you if you are willing to reject His ways, His word, or His works. Moses' desire is to know God. This is not a mere intellectual knowledge. It is not a cerebral knowledge. It is not a knowledge of putting facts into Moses' head. Moses is saying, God, I want to know your way so that I have more facts about you in my head. This is a relational knowing, a growing knowledge of the God who reveals himself. It reveals a hunger, a desire to know God more. Knowing God is growing in trust and independence and in faith and worship of God that we desire. Is that why we gather together? We have a strong, unstoppable, undeniable hunger for God. We desire to know God more. We ask for Him to show us His ways, knowing that such a request is asking for the presence of God to be among us. Are we satisfied with our knowing of God? If you can get to the point where you say you have reached the end point of all that you need to know of God, I would dare say that you demonstrate you don't know Him at all. How naive to think a finite man could ever plumb the depths of the infinite God. In fact, it could be that the more you know him, you realize how much more you need to know him. How much more you don't know so that you have that desire to say, God, I want to know you more. I'm not asking if you merely have a knowledge of him. I'm asking if you have come to him, if you have trusted in him, if you are desiring to worship him with your whole being because you have a relationship with God that is grounded and rooted in divine favor and grace. Asking this question, do you know God, sounds like an opportunity for us to make our way up to God But our true knowing of God is not because of our achievements, but it is because of God coming to us. It is a knowing that is growing in grace. And God's grace in this verse, verse 13, God's grace serves as the bookends of Moses' request. Do you see that? If I have found favor in your sight... Please show me your ways that I might know you and find favor in your sight. Moses starts with grace. He ends with the result of grace. The basis of Moses' request is grace. And the outcome of God's answering his request is more grace. It's grace upon grace. God's grace surrounds and envelops Moses' prayer. Is that amazing to us? God, you've given me this grace, so in this grace, I'm making this request to know your ways so that I might know you more, and through this request, 
that is made on the basis of your grace, I know I will get more grace. And I think it's this grace, God's grace, that needs to be applied through our cynical minds because Would we ever say, I've prayed and prayed and prayed and nothing happened? What say you about this God? I've prayed for years and God hasn't answered my prayer. Why has God remained silent? Why has God not done anything? Why has God not answered my pleading prayer? Why has this God failed me. That is the heartbreak of intercessory prayer. And we bring ourselves back to God's ways. Do you trust God's ways? I don't know why God does everything that he does. But I know that what God does is always right and true and just. I know it may feel like God has failed you. I know it might seem like he is distant from you. I may know it seems like your prayers are bouncing off of the ceiling. God hears you. God knows your heart. God has not left you. And whether he ever answers your prayer or not, I know this. He will envelop you with grace. You must, however, submit yourself to his ways. Seek to still love his ways. God confirms that his presence will go with Moses. So God says, I will go with you. My presence with, will go with you. God's power, God's protection, God's guidance will be with him on the way. And then he says this, and I will give you rest. Rest is ultimately found in God. The bad news that God would not go with them has been turned into good news that God's presence will go with him and God will not leave him alone. Why then does Moses say what he says next? God just says to him, I will go with you, I'll be with you. But then Moses says, if you will not go with us, if you will not go with me, why does Moses say that? Is Moses doubting? Did Moses have little faith? No, remember here, God knows, or I'm sorry, Moses knows God's sovereign will and God's promises. Moses remembers that God has made a promise to this people. And so if you hear it, God says, Moses, I will go with you and I will give you rest but now, Moses again goes back to the very promises of God and he says, God, do you remember that you've made promises to your people? Go with us. Be with us. 
Do not forget your people. Consider these your people. Because it was God's presence with his people that marks the people out as a distinct and separate people. It's because God is with them that it makes them unique. What does this request then entail? It's asking the Lord to uphold his reputation among the nations through his presence with his people. And if we think about it, is that much different than what the mission of the church is today? Let's see. God's presence with his people to make them a distinct people in the world. Why? So that they uphold and shine forth the glory of God's holy name. It's as if Moses says, we need your ways revealed through your personal presence so that we might know you and so that the world might know that what is happening is being done for the sake of your name, God. This is for the glory of God to spread all over the globe. Moses found favor in God's sight and so interceded for the people. We now have a Savior who found favor in His Father's sight. Remember what God said in the midst of that glory cloud on the Mount of Transfiguration? This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. This is the one that I have found, that's found favor in my sight. Just like it says here that Moses found favor in God's sight. Well, Jesus Christ is the ultimate one who has found favor in God's sight. And so then what does he do for his people? He intercedes for them. In fact, he ever lives to intercede for them. God, or Jesus, is praying for us before the throne of God. Hebrews 7, 25 Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. This is why we sing the song before the throne of God above. I have a strong and perfect peace, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads, pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. Christ's intercession is the only way not to be driven out of the presence of God. Christ's intercession on our behalf is how we are able to stand in the presence of God, have the very presence of God, possess the very presence of God, and so then what happens? We are an interceding people because we have an interceding Savior. We have a Savior who takes our heartbreak to the throne of God, and so we can then take our heartbreak and others' heartbreak to the very throne of God. And how do we take it to that throne? Look at Hebrews 4. I love this. Hebrews 4. Verse 16. 
Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. How can we pray these intercessory prayers? We can pray these prayers because we have confidence, because we have boldness, because we have courage, not in ourselves, not in what we possess, but in what Christ has given us. And so we go to the throne of grace and we, re we receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Is this kind of praying on your heart? Is this kind of intercessory prayer something that you would say, I have to do it? And not only do I have to do it, I want to do it. Because I look and see my Savior, whoever lives and pleads for me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. A holy word which comes from the holy God. Oh Lord, forgive us for when we do not pray. Forgive us when we do not pray as we should. Let us be a praying people, devoted to prayer, committed to prayer, and let us pray intercessory prayers that are God-centered. And so we ask you, God, this morning, show us your ways that we might know you more. And Father, if there is someone here today who does not know you, they do not have a relationship with you, may they hear the words of Jesus today who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And would they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the one who died upon the cross to save us from our sins, the one who rose again from the dead to show us that he made complete atonement for our sins, to give us forgiveness of our sins that his payment was the only payment ever needed to be paid for our sins. That there would be trust, life would come through him. And that they would receive the gift of eternal life. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.